0: Well, this Christmas season is in full swing and that was really apparent to me yesterday. We had a group from Judson at the Lighthouse Christian Camp, one of our longest, uh, I guess, partnerships that we've ever enjoyed in our missions work through our Global Focus Ministries. And yesterday was what they call kind of their girls weekend. And I believe they had 425 girls there for the day. We had a bunch of our volunteers there working in a Christmas store, which was just awesome and I had the opportunity to speak to about 75 of those. They break them up into uh, sections that are kind of numbered by a letter. And, and as they come through, uh, you get about 30, 45 minutes with them to go over the Christmas story. It was just awesome uh, to be able to do that. And it just reminded me, you know, I think next weekend they're doing the exact same thing. It's Boys Weekend uh, the next weekend. And, um, man, we're engaging people with the gospel at an incredible rate. And that was fun to be able to do. Uh, yesterday with them. And we were talking about the the difference between miracle and magic. What's the difference between miracle and magic? And kind of walking through the Christmas story about how God was just doing miracle after miracle. And it was so different than magic because magic tricks us, you know, but God's miracles do something great in our lives. And so it reminded me just to remind you, we're really close to our 100,000 gospel engagements. Don't stop pushing towards that number, inviting people to know the Lord, inviting people to come with you to church, inviting people uh, to pray with you uh, as you have your meals, just to speak the name of Jesus during this season. And I don't want you to forget tonight's presentation of our Christmas music. Uh, this is going to bless you and really get you ready for the Christmas season this year. And I believe we're going to have a big crowd tonight. So make sure that you come early and make sure that you uh, uh, find your seat early. That'll be really important for us uh, as we have what I think will be a larger than normal crowd. Last week we started a new series called Awaken the Wonder uh, based on Mary's response to all that God was doing in her life. Uh, and our Bibles have labeled this uh, many times the Magnificat, which just means to magnify, which our choir and orchestra were just leading us to do. That's ter- taken directly from uh, those first couple of verses where she just says, My soul magnifies the Lord. And I want you uh, to begin reading with me again. We're going to kind of start where we started last week because everything that we're reading builds upon uh, one another. So we're going to start in verse 46. And I want you to see what we can learn again from this incredible praise response that Mary gave to all that God was doing in her life. So verse 46, Luke chapter one, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord or exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior, for he has regard for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on all generations will count me blessed. Do You remember that last week we learned Mary was really wanting to do something to make a big deal out of what God was doing. That's where that idea of magnifying the Lord comes from. She was taking the focus off of herself and putting it on the Lord because she wanted everyone who read this to see that God was doing something amazing in her life. And I was just reminded this week as I was reading the scripture in one of my Bible studies with some of our guys that, you know, we don't do anything in our life out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Mary's the perfect person to, to show us what that looks like to live a life that's not full of selfish ambition and vain conceit because she's not concerned with herself she's concerned with making a big deal out of what god was doing and mary also understood that salvation only comes from god she was saying salvation comes from god alone she wasn't resting in her favored status as the mother of our lord she wasn't resting in all of the things that she knew or that she could do she was really pointing to what god had done god is the one who had been working salvation from the old testament Ford, and, and we're seeing that in, in her life she realized that without his intervention she had no hope and i just remind you without his intervention in your life there is no hope there is no salvation apart from our god it only comes through him and finally mary saw her situation as one of blessing she saw that god's call on her life meant that she had favored status and if i could just remind us of this again before we read these next passages of scripture When God selects you for something, when an opportunity comes your way, that's favored status. That's God's blessing in your life. We have that so mixed up in our lives so many times. We see it as an inconvenience. We see it as a nuisance to have to go do something. And yet Mary saw that all of her plans that she had had up until that point just got rearranged and wrecked. And she wasn't looking at that. She was looking at her life as favored And I tell you, you know, yesterday as I got to speak to those 75 young ladies and and talk to them about the difference between magic and miracle, I was favored. I had the blessing there. It was a blessing for me to be able to show up and open the word of God and be able to do that with those girls. You always receive the blessing when you serve the Lord. It always comes to you. You may think you're having to sacrifice your time or your energy or something. It's all wrong. It's all about receiving the blessing because God has chosen you to do something and Mary surely got that. Well, let's read these next two verses because I think they're, they're, they're just beautiful and wonderful for us and she's going to un- unpack for us some theology and you remember I said this last week that everything that she's kind of spouting out here is based out of the Old Testament scriptures and how we talked about this isn't some kid that was just sitting in church passing notes to people. She was having the word of God implanted in her life and here it comes forth like a spring. Look at verse 49. For the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who. Who fear him? Well, I think we could all kind of kind of get a benefit from understanding Mary's context here, how she understood her place in history, as she's talking about kind of this arc of history that sweeps across, and she understood what God was doing was something that He had already done in people's lives. He'd been blessing them and favoring them generation after generation, and she sees her spot in this. And she begins to say something amazing. And if we get it, it's gonna strengthen our faith in the greatness of who the God is that we serve. And it will absolutely, I, I really believe this. If you understand what she's saying this morning, it will absolutely change how you pray, change how you live and change how you view the course of human history. So this is really important for us. Notice what Mary starts with. She says, the mighty one has done great things for me. Now this phrase, the mighty one, is really important because it's speaking to the power of our God. In English, we kind of take a derivative word from this where we use the word dynamite. It it kind of comes out of the same family of words when we talk about this. And if you think about what we use dynamite for, when we built our building over here, there was a lot of blasting that had to go on because we were basically blasting through rock to kind of get down to that bottom level where that building is. In fact, just FYI, if a tornado siren sounds, everybody leave and let's go down into the playroom because it's a bunker, baby. It's a bunker. We're under rock. You're going to be good down there. Okay. That's how far we had to blast down. Dynamite allows things to be moved out of the way so that construction can be possible, right? Well, when she 's talking about the mighty one, and she 's talking about what this means, she 's saying, not only is he powerful, but there's something here that 's really cool that I want you to see. she 's saying he is capable. he 's not only just powerful but he's capable. If you're capable it means you're competent to do something. It means you have the ability within yourself to be able to take care of something. And what she's saying about the Lord is he is the mighty one. He's powerful in all the ways that we might think about being able to move rock or anything that we would think about dynamite being powerful, but he's capable to do what he wants to do. And if we would remember that, we might understand how powerful our God is today and it might change some things for us. We might see what Mary saw that it was by the Mighty hand of God that this world was formed. As Genesis records, the Lord spoke the world into existence. He created something from nothing. Yesterday, when I was done talking to the kids, and we had just a few minutes, and I said, uh, Are there any questions that somebody would like to ask about Christmas? And then I realized immediately what I had done. I'd messed up, right? Because the first question was this Who created God? Oh man, how long do we have? I don't know if I can answer that because God's always existed. How do you tell a kid that? How how has has something been created from nothing? God did that. God's the only person that could do that. He's the only one that could do that. He spoke the world into being. The scripture says that he he spoke light into this world. He separated light from darkness, that he separated the waters from the earth. He put limits on those things. It was by his mighty hand that this happened. And there's nothing that is created or finds its origin in this life that has not originated from him. He's the only thing that was never created. It all uh, originates from him and comes out of him it was by his might he created a people from himself out of nothing. You remember his covenant with Abraham. Abraham's just a guy wandering around and God says, follow me, I'm gonna take you out of a land that you do not, uh, to a land you do not know away from your family and everything that you have known. And he says, I'm gonna build a people out of you. And it was impossible because his wife Sarah was past the point of childbearing, but by the mighty hand of God, she conceived and the son of promise was born. And by his mighty hand, God continued to work in their family. You remember that Jacob, was on the verge of starvation. There was a famine in the land, but God by his mighty hand had sent Joseph to Egypt. He had orchestrated events by his mighty hand so that his people would continue. You remember that after 400 years, those people were delivered from the mightiest nation in the world. Why? By the mighty hand of God. By magic or miracle? It was by miracle. You remember that Moses was given these signs that he would be able to do. Anytime he put water from the Nile on the ground, it would turn into blood. He could throw the rod that he carried in his hand on the ground, it would turn into a snake. He could put his hand into his cloak, it would turn leprous. And that still didn't convince them. And so what did God do? By his mighty hand, the sign of the firstborn were killed all the firstborn in Egypt, but the Lord passed over his children and by his mighty hand, they escaped. And by his mighty hand, they came to a place where they were trapped and they had no hope of getting across. And it was by the hand of God that Moses outstretched his arm and the waters parted and they crossed over on dry land. But the mightiest army in the world was defeated. How? Not by might, not by power, but by the mighty hand of God. It was by his mighty hand that the schemes of Herod would not prevail and the Messiah escaped to Egypt. It was by his mighty hand that the grave would not prevail and keep the Messiah as he rose on the third day. It was by his mighty hand that death is now defeated and that the grave no longer has victory so that we say, oh, grave, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? It's gone, it's swallowed up in Jesus Christ never to touch us again because we can say the mighty one has done great things for us. We have to look to the mighty hand of God again. It's by his might that he provides for us. It's by his might that he has protected us. It's by his might that rulers of nations come and go. Stop thinking that you have a lot to do with the ruler of this nation. You don't. It's by his mighty hand. Psalm 2 says that the Lord scoffs at the rulers of this earth when they try to protest against him. And he says that the nations will be the inheritance of the Lord Jesus Christ and that he will rule them with an iron scepter and dash them like clay pots. It's by his mighty hand that nations are established. It's by his mighty hand that we've been saved. It's by his mighty hand that others will be saved. It's by his might that we can stand here today and testify of the power of healing in our lives. It's by his might that we can stand here today and testify to the power of deliverance from sin and darkness and addiction and all kinds of sin that would hold us back and ensnare us. We've been delivered from those things by his mighty hand. I believe what's happened is that some of us have forgotten this attribute of our Lord. We've forgotten who he is. We believe that the arm of the Lord is too short to reach us. We believe as we stand at the Red Sea of our own lives, there is no path forward, that God cannot do anything to help us. We don't see a way out of the situation that we're in. We don't see this earth changing. We don't see our nation being brought to repentance. And we think that God has somehow lost his power. We don't believe that he holds the future in his hands. We don't believe that he's capable. We don't think that he's powerful. Mary challenges all of that for us. She challenges our thinking to know the power of the God that we serve and to know that we're serving the one who is the mighty one of Israel. And when you know this deep down in your soul, here's what begins to change. You stop saying things like, all we can do is pray. I guess that's all we can do. There's nothing left to do. As I was reading my devotional this morning, It was a reset devotional on prayer. And the author of of the devotional said this. David said that he would seek the Lord early, early in the morning, early in trials and tribulation, early in his life, early before things got out of hand. We seek the Lord early instead of acting like it's the last thing that we can do and kind of throw up our hands and say, hey, y'all pray for this. There's nothing more that we can do. We should be first in prayer seeking the Lord, believing that his mighty hand will stretch out again to move the mountains for us, to move that people will be saved. If you don't believe that he's mighty, you won't pray. That might explain why we don't pray. We're too busy doing other things, believing that God can't do anything to change the situation. Mary understood that he was mighty. We need to to remind ourselves of this again. I want you to listen to how Jeremiah prayed as he called out on the mighty one. Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, behold. You've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult to you. Stop right there and underline that if you're thinking about it in your Bibles. Nothing is too difficult for you. Do you believe that? I mean, do you really believe that? Or when I said that, was there something that popped up in your mind that was like, I want to believe it, but there's this thing that I'm facing. There's this... Nothing is too difficult for you. Who shows loving kindness, mercy, to the thousands, but repays the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them? O great and mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. Great in counsel, mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men, giving to everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. When was the last time you prayed like this? When was the last time you went before the Lord and you just said, I believe there is not a thing in this world that is too difficult for you, and that's why I'm here, because I believe you're the mighty one. I believe that when I call upon your name, I'm unlocking the resources of the greatest God that has ever been, that you have the resources to change every situation, that you have the ability to speak into my life, that you can speak peace into this situation, that you can speak power into this situation, and that the situation that I'm facing can be radically transformed because when you stretch out your hand, there's nothing that can't be done. That's the mighty God that we serve. We believe there are things he simply can't do. Jeremiah didn't believe that. Jeremiah believed that God had great counsel and mighty deeds as a part of who he was and that those things allowed him to shower good things upon people. That it was because God had this great counsel of wisdom and that he was mighty to be able to affect that wisdom into action that things would happen. Church, I challenge you when you pray, do it like you're going before the mighty one, not like you just are hoping that something will happen or that there's nothing else you could do. Go before him first. Go before him early. Call on the name of the mighty one. Ask him to stretch out his arm over your life. Ask him to stretch out his arm of power into your situation. Ask him to move. And that leads us to the second statement that Mary makes. She says, holy is his name. Mary's telling us something about who this God is that she serves. His name is special. It's set apart. And that's what it means when something's holy. It's not for common use. It's different. It's set apart for something. Uh, maybe you kind of do like at the holidays. Uh, as I, I can kind of think about it. When I think about dinner at the holidays, I think about that's the like one or two times a year you eat on the special dishes, you know? That's how that works. You pull out the nice stuff. The rest of the time, you eat on the stuff that you've had forever, you know, that you're not afraid to break or whatever. Or maybe the stuff that goes in the dishwasher, right? I mean, that, that's what you eat on the rest of the time. But, but sometimes you pull out the special china. It's different. It, it's separated. It, it's something that's a little bit different. You don't throw reheated pizza on the good china. That's not how it works, right? Right? Well, we know this from Exodus chapter 20 that God told the nation of Israel there were 10 laws guiding their lives. And I want you to listen to what he says about his own name. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. When we take God's name in vain, here's what it means to make it empty. To make it empty. It doesn't mean what we think about in vanity like where you have a a higher esteem of yourself. It's second definition of the word vanity. When, When you make something common, when you make it empty, when there's no meaning to it. This is someone who's taking the name of the Lord, uh, our God, and, and making it, it worthless. It, it, it devalues God's name when you don't set it apart. So when we use the name of the mighty one as if it's common, it loses something. And God doesn't want his name to be a swear word or a response to a surprise. That, that, that's not how it works. We're, we're not to do that. We're to have a name that is set apart because it's different. Because it's a name that contains power. It's so special, and he says it's holy. And the fact that it's holy tells us something about God. He's different in character and nature than any other God that you could serve. He calls you to be different. He demands that you be different, and if you haven't figured that out yet, you don't know him yet. You don't know kind of this full facet of understanding of who he is. You're not seeing the fact that we were called out of darkness into light, and that means that we are to be like him. The early church was called Christians, and it was a term for them of insult. But they turned it into a name that they saw as a badge of honor. It was, it was prideful for them that they were being worthy to be called little Christs. Right? That, that's what it meant. That they had identified with their Savior in such a way that when people looked at them and said, All you Christians, they were like, yes. Yes. That's it. I've lived worthy enough. They count me as, as one of his followers. They understand that. And if we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're living under his name and we need to take it as a serious matter. We, we understand it, that our lives have to be set apart because we're living up to the name that we've been given, Christ. That, that's over our life. And what that means for us is really important. It's kind of like what your name means somewhere. You, you know, when, when I come to, to Nashville, Tennessee, my name doesn't mean a lot here. Uh, that, you know, it's an uncommon name, Mims, uh, but, but it doesn't mean a lot. I, I told the kids yesterday that my name was picked out of a book. My parents literally flipped it open and were like, Jeff, good, that works. You've heard me say that before, right? But there's a place where my last name means something and it's a place where I go sometimes where my family has existed for generations. When I walk in and use my mother's maiden name in that area, all of a sudden it means something, doesn't it? There's something attached to it because there's a history to it. When I go to the place where my father grew up and people understand who I am and that my grandfather lived in that town and lived there for many, it's different. It means something, doesn't it? What's the same way? And it may seem funny for you and I to be talking about holiness at Christmas, but I want you to hear me. This is crucial because God's people are commanded to be holy. It's not optional. Him coming to this earth as a baby was so that we could see what it was like to live and then be empowered to live that way by the Holy Spirit once we come to know Christ. can't do it on your own. It's by his mercy that we're able to do that. It's his grace holding us up. And what he starts to say is, you have to live holy lives. Listen to what 1 Peter 1 says. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And when you think about this, Peter is correctly pointing back that we've lived a lot of our lives in ignorance. It means without knowledge. Sometimes we we say that word and it it doesn't sound good. We say, like, I'm ignorant about this. It means I don't have any knowledge about it. And what Peter was saying is, you lived a lot of your lives before you met Christ in ignorance. You just weren't aware of of what the standard was. You weren't aware of how you could live this way. But now that you've been saved, you've been called out of that, don't go back to it. Church, don't go back to it. This is really important that we understand this. If you think that your life should look just like everybody else's who doesn't claim the name of Christ, if you can't see the difference, something's missing there. Because we were called out of darkness. We've been made alive in Christ. It's a beautiful thing for us to think about. We were in ignorance when we were living our lives as as people who were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we have been brought to life, and we're gonna see that in just a minute. Now, I want you to understand that as we follow our God, we begin to recognize that he's not like other gods. There are things he tells us we can't do. There are things he tells us we must do. And our response to that is to say, yes, Lord. Our response to that is to say, I want to be holy. Help me to be holy. Work in my life to get rid of this stuff that shouldn't be there. Now, sometimes you say, well, that doesn't have anything to do with Christmas. How does that have to do with a baby Jesus? You remember what we were talking about last week? I don't want you to ever get lost in the sentimentality of the moment. You know, sentimental people can cry at anything. Right, I can't watch any of those shows like um, the Make a Wish things that they do on ESPN, where they show kids getting their wishes uh, confirmed when they've been sick. I mean, I'll boohoo my eyes out, right? But it doesn't make me want to go work for like a cancer research hospital. I'm sentimental about it, but a lot of times it doesn't cause me to act. You can be sentimental about your favorite football team. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people talk about Neyland Stadium and they just say the, the strangest things. I tell you, Pastor, it's electric. I was in there, the hair's stand on the back of my neck and as the balls were driving down, Pastor, I was disappointed again. Right, I mean, you know, I mean, right? right? Do, do you understand what I mean? We, we talk like this about sports. We, that's sentimentality, Right. But God didn't call you to just have a feeling about this and to affirm the feeling of the baby Jesus in the manger and to love that we do things like, you know, sing Silent Night at candlelight services and we'll, we'll have something in here uh, tonight for you to hear some songs and so you can feel good about it. Jesus came to wreck our world. When he came, think about what he did. Nothing that he touched stayed the same. So why would it be that when he touches our lives to make us holy that we can say, no, not interested. No, he came to invade our lives so that the old would pass away and that all things would be made new. And he calls us to be holy. And then I want you to look back at verse 50 because Mary understands something that is just beautiful. His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. Mary finished this thought that we're looking at today with some important truths that we need to understand. And first, she says, is that mercy is on every generation. We need to be clear about mercy. Mercy means that what you deserved isn't given to you. It wasn't given to you. God has been so merciful to us. He's been so kind to us. His mercy has withheld his judgment for us and placed it on Christ. We didn't get what we deserved. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserved. When you start thinking about what you deserve and maybe you think this year I deserve a Christmas bonus, I deserve a raise, I deserve a nice thing for Christmas or whatever else, I'm sorry. I know of one thing that you and I deserve and it's hell. That's it. Nothing more. Nothing less. That's what we deserve. That's what we've earned in our lives. We have deserved a lifetime separated from God in eternity, spent really suffering for eternity in hell. And yet, God offered us mercy through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. Now there's several things that are important about that passage that we just read. It says that God was rich in mercy. He's not an Ebenezer Scrooge. He doesn't just hand out a little bit. He was rich in it. He had enough for everyone. He overflows in mercy towards us and he hasn't held any of it back. God sent the very best. God sent Jesus Christ. He wasn't stingy towards us. It overflows towards us as he has loved us with this great love and these verses tell us that this great love did something for us. It moved toward us when Jesus Christ came to the earth so that he could die in our place. And that's how we are made alive in Christ. And that's the, the great illustration of salvation is that God loved us while we were unlovable. God was merciful towards us when we didn't want mercy and yet he withheld his judgment and sent Jesus and anyone that would look to Jesus and be saved doesn't have to receive the punishment that is due them. All of us were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's the result of sin. It leads to death. But the result of salvation is life. In the same way God made Jesus alive again after three days in the grave, he raises, up alive, raises us up alive again to live with him because we've been saved by grace through his mercy that is offered to us. And I want you to see what Mary understood. She understood that God's mercy extended to every generation. That's an amazing statement. There's never been a time on earth where God's mercy has been found lacking. Never, not in times past, not in times present. And here's something that we all need to remember, not in times future. It's really important. Because sometimes we we don't think that his mercy is making inroads into the culture. We don't see what he's doing. And yet, what you saw this morning was evidence of God's mercy as a little boy was baptized. What you're going to see in the coming days are more students being baptized. We've seen adults be baptized this year. God's mercy is still available to every generation. It's never found lacking. It will be from the beginning of time and it will be this way until Jesus Christ returns. But listen to me, that's when mercy runs out. You remember what we talked about last week? Everybody's gonna ask you, Are you ready for Christmas? But I wanna know, Are you ready for His return? Because when He comes back, it's too late. On that day, there is no more mercy. Mercy gives way to judgment. The time for mercy is now. The time for us to receive grace is now. The time for us to be saved is now. If you have any doubt about that, listen to me. Today is the day of salvation. And I want you to be very clear about this because the implications are important. All those who die outside of Jesus Christ will spend eternity in hell. Not my words, the scriptures. See, pastor, that's mean, it's exclusive. You have to take it up with God. It's it's his way, not my way. It's not the Baptist way. It's not Judson's way. It's what the word of God says. You've got to read it for yourself. It says that all who perish without Christ will spend eternity in hell, but we don't have to do that. And by the way, God doesn't want anyone to do that. In fact, the scripture says, God's not slack concerning his promises, but is patient desiring all to come to repentance. He wants all to come to repentance and his mercy is available for you today. That mercy is available for the next generation, the generation after that, if he tarries. Mary understood that God had been faithful. He was faithful in the past, faithful right now, and he'll be faithful to every generation. And Mary gives us this key. She says, mercy is found for those who fear him. You may remember that last week I told you, and again this week, that Mary was quoting out of the Old Testament. This comes directly out of Psalm 103. 17, but the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. Notice what she's saying. She's saying mercy is found continually on those who fear him. And we can build something into the next generation as we keep his covenants and do his commands, as we live those out, that something happens, that we're living a testimony into the next generation. That's really important for us to see. Your life matters for the next generation. Your life matters for the next generation and it matters that you understand that mercy starts with the fear of the Lord. Proverbs says it like this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where it starts. To be in fear of the Lord means that you have a reverential awe of him, that you worship him, that you recognize him for who he is, that you recognize the mighty hand that he has, that you recognize he's not like any other God. You don't start with your own self, you start with him. And you understand this difference. And this is crucial for us and one that we constantly need to be reminded of. There's a difference between who God is and who we is and we are not the same. We're not the same. He is different than us. And we approach him differently. We don't approach him like he's just some buddy that we're kind of saddling up to to have dinner with. It's different. We worship him with the fear of the Lord. It brings wisdom in our lives. And as you fear him to do what is right, it's amazing what happens. God will put his wisdom in your life so that you can obey him. And that righteousness leads to a generational blessing. Did you see that? It's righteousness for the children's children. Your living right makes a difference in your children's lives. It makes a difference in your grandchildren's lives. I'm living today for grandchildren I don't even know. That's what I'm living for. I hope you're doing the same. I hope you're living for the next generation of students in this church. I hope you're living for the next generation of kids that are gonna kind of grow up in this church. In the second service, we're gonna do a baby dedication. And this is no kind kind of just passing moment. We ask you as a church to think about living on purpose for that child to know Christ. It's important for us we have the fear of the Lord, we obey his commands. That means that worshiping the Lord is not optional for us. Serving the Lord is not optional for us. We begin to look to him for these things. When we think we make the rules or we confuse the issue of who is God and who is not, what that leads to is Ignorance. You won't find wisdom when you try to set up the rules for yourself. When you try to live in such a way where you just say, this is unimportant, this is important. I don't have to follow what I don't like and I just do what I want to do. It doesn't work that way. If we think we make the rules, we're confusing that issue. Mary didn't have that problem. She clearly understood who God was and how he was shaping her life. And I wonder if Christmas would change for this year to be a little more meaningful if we stopped focusing on kind of like if our house was decorated and if our shopping lists were done and maybe started tomorrow with this question, have I met with the mighty one? Have I spent time with the mighty one? Have I spent time before him asking him to move in my life? Have I really brought things to him in prayer? Maybe it might change for us if we wondered Instead of, have I gotten my list done? Is my house ready? Is the food cooked? If we ask this question, am I living holy before the Lord today? You know, you may not be concerned with holiness, but God is. He's concerned with holiness. He commands us to be holy like he is holy. If you understood, maybe tomorrow, as you started your day, that you needed wisdom and to fear the Lord so that you could walk in wisdom, living reverentially before him so that you could gain that. Or maybe today you would have to just say, I've never known the Lord. Can I tell you what would be the greatest Christmas present that you could give me? One is that if you don't know the Lord, the greatest Christmas present you could give me would be to know Jesus Christ. All of us would say that in here. All of us would say that if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have any doubts about that, then not that you sit back and kind of suffer in your doubts, but that you would really nail it down and that you would use this Christmas season to lean into the mercy of the Lord. If you've never known the Lord I pray that today would be the day that you surrender your life to him and receive his mercy. It's not too late. As long as we have breath we have an opportunity to declare him as our savior. It's not too late. And my prayer for us as a church is that maybe we would go forward in this Christmas season with a little more awe and a little more wonder that's been awoken in our lives because of what Mary's been saying and that We would not just see it as a season to kind of rush through or get through, but that we'd contemplate these things and then it would change our lives. I'm gonna ask you to pray with me this morning. Could it be that there's something in your life that if we were being just honest, you don't believe that God could speak into? You've not believed that he was the mighty one? It's just a lack of faith. And faith and fact need to overtake feeling right now. Ask him to move in your life. Take your burden to him. Is there an area of your life that truthfully is not holy? Holy? Maybe nobody else knows it. But right now the Holy Spirit's speaking to you because he knows it. That's all that matters. Won't you repent of that? Father, as we come before you, we declare you are the mighty one and you've done great things for us. And holy is your name. And we declare that your mercy is upon every generation. And that we fear you and worship you this morning. God, we pray for churches in our area today who are preaching the gospel that you would move in a mighty way. We believe you can do it. We believe that your mercy extends to one who might not be saved in our midst today who's wrestling with salvation. I pray they won't leave today until they speak with me or a life group teacher, another pastor, Lord. We ask, God, that you would expand our understanding of what you're doing. Let us see it as Mary saw it. We ask this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.